Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Delighted to have you back for part two of our conversation with Dr. Samir Shah and Dr. Vinny Aurora. Dr. Shah is a professor of pediatrics and he is editor-in-chief of the Journal of Hospital Medicine. And Dr. Aurora is a professor of medicine and is social media editor for the Journal of Hospital Medicine. And this two-part podcast is produced in partnership with the Journal of Hospital Medicine, which is the monthly peer-reviewed journal for the Society of Hospital Medicine. The Society of Hospital Medicine is the society that has over 20,000 members around the world. I'm actually a member myself. To read more about COVID-19 and its impact on hospital medicine, as well as the superb May 2020 issue, which is filled with incredible perspectives from around the world, definitely check out www.journalofhospitalmedicine.com. All of the COVID-19 related content on the JHM website is open source and available to the public. So please do take a look at it. As I said, this is part two of my conversation with Samir and with Vinny. Part one is an outstanding discussion of this May 2000 issue of the Journal of Hospital Medicine. There's a link in the show notes. Please do check it out. In part two of this conversation, we jump into another critical role that the Journal of Hospital Medicine has decided to take on and to really show significant leadership in, and that is in promoting diversity in academic medicine and acknowledging that there's a real gap there. And the, the reason for this conversation is an article that Dr. Shaw wrote last year and then a Twitter thread that Dr. Aurora put out on April 26th, just a couple of weeks ago, that laid out and was really striking for me the issues and the challenges and the real destructive potential that COVID-19 is unlocking with respect to any sort of progress made in promoting women and underrepresented minorities and improving diversity in our senior faculty and leadership positions and moving people through the promotion and tenure cycle in academics, not just in medicine, in really any academic field in general. It's an alarming proposition, to be quite frank, and it demands real action. Hearing Dr. Shaw and Dr. Aurora talking about this is really inspiring. Dr. Aurora has a a vision of, of what we can all do and lays out really clear and actionable tools for us. And Dr. Shaw shows us how to do it too. And hearing from them is really, really important. And there's a, there's a kernel in here where we discuss what Dr. Aurora terms a need for agility from our promotion and tenure committees around all of academics. And it's a critical issue. Since her thread on the 26th, I've obviously been more attuned to this question and I'm seeing a lot more dialogue around it. So I'm really excited that this conversation happened and that it's out there so we can all kind of process and learn together because it's something that demands attention and it demands action, quite frankly. Before we get to the conversation. Just want to remind everyone, please do check out the website for Explore the Space podcast, www.explorethespaceshow. You can find me on Twitter at ETS show and on Instagram at Explore the Space Show. You can subscribe to Explore the Space wherever you download your podcasts. Please do subscribe and please do leave us a rating and a review. It really helps the show out. This is one of those conversations. This one really has 
some some muscle behind it. It was a, an absolute honor and a treat to have two extraordinary leaders like Dr. Aurora and like Dr. Shaw to come on the podcast. This is part two of a two-part discussion. I think you're going to really enjoy it. I look forward to hearing your feedback and further dialogue around it as well. So without further ado, Dr. Vinny Aurora and Dr. Samir Shaw. Samir and Vinny, thank you both for coming back for a part two. We are doing this deep dive into what Journal of Hospital Medicine is doing with respect to the COVID-19 pandemic and getting out important work and important insight and, and changing the way the audience can engage and also growing the audience. So I'm glad we can continue the conversation. Samir, thank you. Thank you. Very excited to be here. Vinny? You ready for yeah. part two? This is this is this is not your first rodeo on the show, but I'm glad that you're here for part two. Uh, yeah, although I was reminded, uh, Mark, that our first rodeo was in person at the Society of Hospital Medicine meeting when we recorded with Charlie Ray about social media on your CV and how do you refer to it as. And so having an in-person discussion seems so quaint in these current era. It does. I know it was very, very cool. And I'll just share with you now. I was totally nervous because that was the first time I met you, but I'd known about you for a decade. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm getting to interview <laughs> Vinny Aurora. This You're is hilarious, wild. but I'm fine now. I'm good now. I'm okay. That's, that's good. Yeah, you should be good. <laughs> so let's get into the next thing though, where I think JHM has a role to play that is going to be generationally defining. And I want to circle back to an article, Samir, you wrote in July of 2019. Vinny, I'm going to read the first line of Samir's article to you. And I want you to frame it for us because when I reread this, this is where I started to think building off of what JHM is showing itself capable, willing, and able to do is going to make this generationally important. This is the first line of the article. The article is leading by example how medical journals can improve representation in academic medicine. And the first line is this. Women and racial and ethnic minorities remain underrepresented in senior faculty roles and academic leadership positions. That's the first sentence of the article. When I reflect that back to you, Vinny, this is an article that Samir wrote. Does it feel like the springboard into something really important? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a major journal, an editor-in-chief of a major journal who uh, happens to be male, you know, authoring a piece uh, really highlighting that this is a problem. And um, and so I, I definitely think that that's an opening line to say this is something that a journal is going to try to tackle, which means a lot. So then I want to juxtapose this with a thread that you contributed on Twitter, and I'll link to it in the show notes, and you posted it on April 26th of 2020. And it was a thread that illustrates how the COVID-19 pandemic is wreaking totally unanticipated havoc. And it's in the way it is disrupting the progress of gender equity and the elevation of women and racial and ethnic minorities into senior faculty positions, into academic leadership positions, and into publishing their work. Can you frame for us a little bit of what you put in that thread and what you are seeing and feeling at the front lines of the pandemic? Absolutely. I will say that, you know, as somebody who monitors literature on Twitter, 
I was really concerned uh, when I saw a piece that highlighted that, you know, in the first six weeks since the pandemic started, that journal, um, they were getting far more pieces submitted by men. And that really, um, along with a variety of other high-profile media articles in the New York Times, et cetera, um, highlighting that women are bearing the brunt of the um, childcare and the work at home and, uh, you know, sort of the, the uh, discrepancies with how to actually maintain balance working at home and caring for your family, uh, really motivated me since, you know, I, I am a tenured professor now, and so I sometimes see like my role is I should speak out on things that I can. And I am also on promotions committees. I write a lot of referee letters. And I started to think, well, if this moment in time, which is only six weeks, expands to a year, uh, this could lead to like a lost generation, if you will, of women falling off the path wow. of um, scientific research productivity. And and so that was the motivation for my thread was, you know, I, I've been through this. I've seen papers, I've written papers and had the prod- productivity and then been able to turn that into promotion and um, success. But I see that my mentees who are balancing their kids at home and writing a K award and working on a paper and attending in an ICU, how are they going to be able to pull through this crisis? And that was when I started to think we need some solutions quickly and we need to be just like Journal of the Hospital and Net Medicine. We need to be agile as academic institutions. And when you think about agility and flexibility, promotions and tenure is usually the last thing that comes to mind. <laughs> and so um, so that was why I felt compelled to say, hey, I'm, I'm really worried about this, partly because I this is already a problem. And so it's kind of like the inequities that we see with uh, you know, COVID is not the great equalizer. It unmasks inequities. And so just like it unmasks inequities and, you know, um, African-Americans in South Chicago are more likely to die than um, than whites in North Chicago, for example, this is also going to unmask inequities in that already exist in, um, in gender equity in promotions and tenure. And particularly given the issue that we're all going to face a huge financial crunch in academic institutions. I mean, everyone's going to face a huge financial crunch. Crunch. Healthcare will also face a huge financial crunch, especially in academia. And so people's uh, productivity is going to be re- scrutinized pretty hard. And so we've not actually seen that. We've not actually seen a time when, you know, jobs were on the line really in healthcare. And, and so I think this is something we really need to think about really quickly. So Samir, hearing Vinny's response and seeing that thread and acknowledging you were very prescient with that line that you wrote a year ago. Do you see the way and and can you share some some vision of how an entity like Journal of Hospital Medicine and also, of course, the journal specifically, but because we're going to need more than one journal to do this, what are the ways that 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 JHM can be a springboard to kind of level this inequity that Vinny has so clearly described? I think there are lots of things a journal can do, and I think the big the, right, the big factor here is that we we often talk a lot about these inequities, but we actually have the ability to do something about them as a journal. 
And, and you know, huge, huge shout out to my co-authors on this piece, Aaron Shaughnessy uh, and Nancy Spector. Uh, they were instrumental in helping me think through these issues uh, and providing guidance and advice along the way. But, but we titled this piece, Leading by Example. And I'll read you a line from another line from this piece. At the Journal of Hospital Medicine, we are committed to leading by example and developing approaches to create equity in all facets of journal leadership and authorship. And so what we started to do, uh, which other journals had not done before, was collect demographic information from our authors and reviewers. So when you create a journal account, you are asked to provide information on your race, ethnicity, and gender. Um, there is an there is an option to say, I prefer not to provide this information. Um, but we, we, it's a required field that you have to check something. Uh, other journals hadn't done that before. And after we published this piece and started collecting this information, we had several journals reach out to us to say, hey, thank you for showing us the way we've been wrestling with this issue, this issue for a number of years. And, and we're really curious to hear more about how you're doing this and, and also importantly, what the response has been. And I would say the response has, has mostly been very, very positive. Um, I've received a few emails uh, along the lines of, I don't wish to complete this information because I wish we lived in a world where we didn't have to worry about this. Yeah. And I oh, thought, wow, interesting. like, like, that's exactly the point. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, right. Like, come on. Uh, and so it was, it was really funny to receive those, but but um, for for two of these folks who sent these emails, I reached out to them and we had a very nice phone conversation about why why we're doing this. And and again, reiterating, you can fill out that I prefer not to provide this information. And what was I think really reaffirming so far is that ninety ninety percent of folks have completed this information. I don't see this information when we're making decisions about manuscripts, but we look at this information after the fact. So we're going to pull this information in June. Uh, so we'll have one year's worth of data to see where we are in in terms of uh, focusing on gender, race, and ethnicity for first authors and for senior thought for senior authors. And we'll see where we are. But during our editorial meetings, this is a point we really emphasize for solicited article types. When we're reaching out to people and saying, hey, we're interested in an article on this, we we think about diversity as, as an important piece of this. The other facet that is really important is journal leadership. And I would say that I am blessed that when I took over the Journal of Hospital Medicine, it was really in a strong position that allowed us to think about these types of issues in a, in a fundamentally different way. So a huge shout out to Mark Williams for, for getting the journal started way back in 2006 when, when hospital medicine was just evolving as an entity. And, and there, you know, the scholarship within this field was was just getting started. And to, and to Andy Auerbach for hiring a an exceptionally strong team of editors uh, that made my job much easier. But one of the things we focused on as a journal is increasing the diversity within our journal leadership. When I started, 30% of our journal leadership team uh, was female. It is now 45%. Uh, when I started, uh, 22% of our journal leadership team was non-white in terms of race and ethnicity. It's now about a third. Um, when I started, 11% of the journal leadership team included 
pediatricians. We're now at about a quarter. And, and so we're thinking about diversity very broadly. We now also have a nurse scientist on our leadership team, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. We have, um, in addition to Canada, we also have Australia represented on the le- journal leadership team. So we're thinking about diversity in many different forms. And the great thing about a jur- being a journal editor is, is you have control over this. And so it's it's our obligation to to act on this and and really it's right it's not just talking the talk but it's also walking the walk and so judge us on, on not just on what we say but on what we do uh, and I think we're making great strides in that and I think that that's reinforced by the fact that other entities are reaching out to a thank you and b ask how you're doing it because what you're describing to me sounds like a foothold towards progress. And I'm not hearing from you that you feel in any way, shape or form remotely done, that this is just the stuff that's getting you a little bit of momentum going forward. Absolutely correct. We have lots of work to do, but this is a, this is a great start. Yeah. And, and if we don't talk about it, it doesn't happen. And so, and so part of it is really important to raise awareness about what we're trying to accomplish as a journal and you know for people to hold us accountable and and also if if folks have ideas or suggestions about what we should be doing better or what we could be doing better would love to hear because it's important for us to hear and and by us having this discussion as a journal and by you bringing it to the forefront and having it greater visibility by virtue of having this as a discussion on your podcast i think it's raising greater awareness of the issue it empowers us to act it empowers others to act and and again the feedback loop is really important as well so vinny let me then engage with you on this idea of turning awareness into action so i want to use myself as an example i read your thread and it was that mixture of like my heart is sinking, but also thank goodness I'm aware of this. And I also want to just give some recognition to the outstanding women in medicine seminar with Tom Varghese, Laura Bedke and Shika Jane, where they talked about the same topic. So now I'm aware. Absolutely. Yeah, it was awesome. But so, so I'm aware now when I see those names as the people making me aware when I, when it's you, My first thought is, what on earth can I do as a practicing physician in the United States? And let's set aside the podcast, but just as an individual physician, what on earth am I able to do to elevate Vinnie Aurora? What on earth can I do to elevate Shika Jane? These are the most powerful names in the profession. How do we leverage the awareness and turn it into action for people like myself who we're aware now, we're realizing this, this horrible unearthing that COVID has done, how do we translate it into something actionable? So I am a firm believer that all of change starts locally. So I, I would say instead of, you know, I mean, I love the amplification, but the reason I'm saying this is that I'm concerned about the people behind me, yeah. uh, the women that are, that are balancing everything and how are we going to pull them through? Um, and I wonder if, um, one of the things that we need to think about strategically is, uh, that, you know, I talked about this in the thread is, you know, more deliberate sponsorship. You know, um, I see a lot of discussions about research going on around COVID and people gathering together to discuss high impact research and collaboratives. And I would just ask somebody in that audience, in that room, you know, to say, 
how many women are here? How many people of color are in this room, in the Zoom room, you know? Do we have the right team to ask the diverse question that we need to ask? And, you know, a lot of the work that I've done uh, is built on a foundation to say that more diversity in our pipeline leads to greater relevance of research questions um, and scholarship. And so when I w- what I would think about is in your own institutions or in your own collaboratives or in your own discussions, is there a woman's voice present? Is there a person of color's voice present? Do we have a trainee voice in there? Have we thought about inclusion intentionally, uh, particularly in the COVID world where it's just too easy to be like, oh, so-and-so is on the front line. They can't participate. So-and-so's got you know a little baby at home. They can't participate. And so my thought is how can we be intentional and accept that it's okay. I was on a recent call uh, with a a physician investigator who I mentor who is in critical care. And three of us have small babies, you know, that were on the call. And it was totally fine that she got up and had to pick up her baby and, you know, soothe them for a moment. Totally acceptable. It's like that has to be the new norm if we're all going to be working from home. And so I would say people have to ask the question to others to let women decide, you know, do you want to be involved? We'd love for you to be involved. We know it might be difficult, but can you do this? It would be great if you can do this. And even better, how can we make it possible for you to do this would be the right question. Um, you know, what time and, you know, how do we bend back, bend over backwards to make sure we can have inclusive teams? Uh, the other thing that I would like to highlight is um, that's more about making sure the teams of researchers are intentional and people, you know, who are authoring pieces. Uh, The other thing is, how do we work with our institutions, promotions and tenure committees to adjust, just like we adjust the clock when somebody has a baby? How are we going to say, well, this was a COVID time and we know the stress on people during COVID was unbelievable, either doing frontline clinical work or working at home. And how are we going to adjust for that when we factor in uh, this person's promotions package four years later when a year and a half was dedicated to COVID recovery? And so I think these are really important questions that I have not heard people talk about at home at their institutions yet. Here's how I'm going to answer the last one. If I was the dean of an institution, which I'm not, um, (laughs) but if I was the one who could pull those levers, here's what I would say. I would say, look, we are promoting medical students to be doctors early. We are all, every institution has to go into its files of, of its associate professors and its assistant professors, and it has to elevate people. Now they have to get battlefield promotions for lack of a better term. Just do it. There are so many people who are so supremely talented in so many ways. And in parallel, the old models of doing this are essentially null and void. Just do it. Just execute. Now, there's no reason not to give them those titles, give them those promotions and lock it in. There's I, I, I would like to hear a good rational argument why we wouldn't do that. Well, I would say that um, being part of the Journal of Hospital Medicine and working with Samir and others who are really transformative in terms of their thinking gives me hope. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we need those transformative leaders to be on the front lines of decision-making around promotions and tenure processes and retention. And that's typically not the type of person who's in charge of those committees. And so so I think this is where we can be, where we as a group, uh, as academics, uh, as hospitalists, as 
uh, really networks of physicians can say, hey, we need to think about this, not just for medicine, but for all of science. I think that's well put. And I think that somewhere in between me saying, give everybody the promotion now and your approach, which is more rational. Somewhere there's that right middle ground. Samir, <laughs> Samir, although I still stand behind it. I mean, I know, I know plenty of people around the country who are not professors who want to be, and they should be. I mean, starting in quarter well, three I, of this year, done and done. I mean, there's no reason. I, I, I guarantee that if you went and became dean of a, of a, Medical school, uh, I, I have reams of faculty who would sign up to work for you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Samir, when you hear this kind of bouncing back and forth, though, and you think to yourself, okay, I'm in academics, I do this work, I know these people, I work with them every day, I hire them, I, I move them through the pipeline, and I've moved through the pipeline myself, and I'm the editor of the magazine. What are the levers that we should all be looking to pull so that at the end of 2020, wherever we are in the pandemic, we can at least say that Vinny raised the alarm on April 26th of 2020 along with others. We at least arrested the disruption or, hey, maybe we even improved things. What would you like to see happen? Well, I would invoke rule number six from Mark Hurtling, which is this ain't peacetime. Yeah. So the usual rules don't apply. Yeah. Um, what our what our institution has done at the University of Cincinnati has given a one year extension for tenure clocks, and I think that's a really important point if if you're on a tenure system. But I think we as leaders have a responsibility to advocate for our people. And and Vinny and you have raised important issues. And so, right, my role as a leader is to meet with the head of our promotions committee, meet with the head of academic affairs, meet with the chair and say, hey, these are the issues coming up. These are the issues that affect our faculty. And if we don't address them, we risk losing an important part of our workforce and that will make us weaker in the end. And I think smart leaders will will listen to that and partner to come up with a plan that works best for the institution and the folks involved. Vinny, how do we track this? How do we keep our finger on the pulse of this so that we know if we're at least holding the line or hopefully improving things as we move forward? Now, that's a great question. And I think, you know, leaders uh, in medicine at double AMC Association of American Medical Colleges keep really good data on women advancement in medical schools. But I do think that this is something we're going to need to partner with some of the larger larger institutional bodies like double AMC and others to say, uh, not only how do we track the data, but how do we how do we reporting is just one problem. How do we actually disseminate solutions? Um, and so similar to our JHM approach on perspectives and, and the chat, you know, how can we uh, think about harnessing crowdsourcing to say, what are people doing? You know, Samir uh, just mentioned one way of approaching this, which is, you know, halting, halt, giving people a year, you know, to yeah. say, OK, we need to adjust for this. What are some of the other things that we can think about doing um, to help people, you know, overcome whether it be um, and it's some of the same issues, you know, it's like child care. How do how do you mentorship, virtual mentorship, um, collaborations? You know, these are all things that are ripe for innovation um, and and really thinking about cross institutional sharing of of uh, 
of policies and procedures. I would say that in the COVID era, what's been amazing is how uh, much is shared, like University of Washington just being out there with, here are our protocols. Bob yeah. Walker tweeting about UCSF's case counts, you know? Yep, um, yep. And uh, my own institution also released um, several of our protocols. And so, um, so that's kind of unprecedented, that level of sharing. And so similarly, the type of clinical sharing we're seeing, we can also tackle the same problem to say, how are institutions really tackling this? And who are the positive deviants out there that we can learn from? And just like you mentioned, Mark, and Samir has already illustrated, how can we be agile and flexible and say, okay, we we have to do things differently and, um, and not rely on just historical underpinnings to say, okay, we can't change because that's not going to be acceptable. It's not going to be acceptable at all. I agree with you. And I think that the idea of that transparency around metrics, Samir, you nicely illustrated how JHM has led the way in this. And as we move towards the end of this two-parter, and I'm so sad because we have so much work to do and listening to the two of you is is just such a treat. Samir, give people who are listening the landing spots to follow you on social media, but also to get into the Journal of Hospital Medicine. Sure. My Twitter handle is at Samir Shaw, MD. So at, at S-A-M-I-R-S-H-A-H. MD. And the journal website is journalofhospitalmedicine.com. And then also we can find Journal of Hospital Medicine on Twitter. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and you can always uh, find us at, at jhospmedicine. And, and also, um, you can always look for uh, hashtag jhmchat to look for when the latest chat is. And then Vinny, you're also very forward facing on social media. How do people find you? I'm at Future Docs on Twitter, which is um, a moniker that I inherited years ago and that I've just kept with. And I've been increasingly on LinkedIn. So if you want to find me on LinkedIn, um, that's a great place to search for me as well. This has been a real treat. I feel like I don't normally care too much about the societies that I'm a part of and the journals that I subscribe to. And I will just say that Society of Hospital Medicine and specifically the Journal of Hospital Medicine has changed that for me. And as somebody now who feels much more invested in the well-being of these communities than I ever have before, I think like many of us because of COVID-19, it's just a real treat to have two leaders of your kind of size and scale come and reflect on these critical issues that affect thousands and thousands and thousands of physicians in the United States and all around the world. So for that, and for all of the time that you've given and your expertise, I'm very, very grateful. Samir, thank you so much. Thank you, Mark, for being a friend of the journal. (laughs) You're welcome. Vinny, a total treat to have you back on the show. Thank you as well for everything that you've been able to share with us and for the work you continue to do. Thank you, Mark. And same to you. Thank you for amplifying all of our good work and being a voice of of reason and solid information out there. A total treat. Thank you both. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.